Welcome to Thriving the Future podcast, where we're finding positive solutions to thrive in the tough times ahead. Okay, welcome back to Thriving the Future. This week, Mike from Paradise Radio is back, and this week we're talking about info security and privacy. People say, well, why do I need that? And so it's really a mindset thing. Yeah, we did imagine this like 10 years ago where we are now. Um, mm-hmm. e- everything is online and we're connected in ways that we couldn't really imagine, like I said, 10 years ago. There's a refrain that you hear now that the internet is forever. Things will stick around. Our information is out there for sale, both financial data and especially now with medical data, it's actually more valuable to other people than our financial data is. ID theft is increasing, especially for minors. My buddy, his daughter got married a few years ago. And when she went to apply for some credit, she found out that somebody else was using her credit. You know, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have known because she was a minor. Interesting. So, and like I said, medical ID information is worth more than financial information right now. Much of our security and information is in other people's hands. Sure. And unfortunately, it's not an if, but a when that information is leaked or stolen. Every week you see another, oh, this institution got hacked or there was some kind of disclosure about information. Even the government did that with a bunch of employees. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the it, government systems are <laughs> you don't you don't want to know. So Yeah, yeah. So what we can do is limit the amount of information that we share and then be actively trying to scrub some of that information that's available to us. Sure. And and we can do that a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I probably want to start off with the legal requirements. So it is legal to get to have aliases and to not give real information about yourself to most companies and people. Wow, I didn't know However, you must give real identity information to governments, to banks, and other entities as required by law. So so having aliases, not a bad thing. Giving an alias to a bank, yeah, not so good. You do have to give real information to them. So that kind of gives us an out being able to compartmentalize our life in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about it more later, but the idea is like a battleship or a submarine where there's bulkheads yeah. in our life. And so if there's a breach in one part of our life, it doesn't really affect other parts. So the idea of, of you having multiple email addresses or multiple phone numbers or, or things like that, it's a little bit more advanced technique but it's been recommended that we try to not have, for example, using the same password at your bank on Facebook on, (laughs) right. It's easy for you, but it's also, it's easy for others. If someone got that, then it'd be easy for them to, to access every bit of your life. Sure. So So let's start there. What's the best way to handle that? Well, let's kind of distinguish a few different things. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is we kind of need to think about our, what they call our threat model. You know, not everybody is a secret government agent and needs top tradescraft and multiple passports and and this and that. Hmm. Uh, For most of us, 
we just want to be a little bit more private, a little bit more secure, right? Sure. Now, there's unfortunately, there are people that that are in situations that need, we talked at, about good, better, best, right? Right. They need something a little bit better. They need more protection. They've had death threats against them. There's active stalkers against them, uh, things like that. And so they need to really up their game in terms of, you know, working some of these different techniques out. But for most of us, the average Joe, we just want to be a little bit more protected, right? Sure. So this is a journey, not a sprint. It's, it's not something that you're going to get be done with. It's better to kind of get some of these things in place step-by-step. You really need to understand some of these tools and techniques. Like I said, don't do everything at once. Just try one thing at a time. And then over time, we'll have this layered security where you'll have those bulkheads in place. Yeah. So if you spring a leak, then uh, you've got multiple bulwarks or, or protection. Yeah. So let's go in with that good, better, best kind of mentality. Let's start off on a few different things. So like for online payments, I like to use Mm privacy.com. And what they do is they let you create either one-time use credit cards or multiple use cards that are locked into a certain vendor. Mm -hmm. And then you can limit the amount per month or per transaction. Right. Normally there's a refrain that says, if the product is free, normally you're the product. Well, privacy.com, they make money on the float for the debit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the more that you use them, the more they make, but they also have a premium where you can actually pay for, for more services. So they want to entice you into using their services more. I use it. I just use the free tier, but I understand where they're making their money off of. They're a real bank. So they have the know your customer. So I have it attached to my bank account. And then also for our household bank account, I have a different one. And so we pay everything. I have a storage unit I need to set up using our household account. I'll generate a unique debit card number. And uh, I will give it to the storage place. Once they use it, it'll be locked in. So if that account, if that debit card ever gets stolen, no one else can use it. Right. Only they can use it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's easy to do. I have a affiliate link with them. I'll give to you. You get like five bucks or something. And then I get a little bit as well. Yeah. Privacy has saved me a couple of times. Where, you know, if you sign up for something and you forgot you signed up for it, but it's an annual renewal, and then a year from now, you're not using that thing anymore, then you, if you set it up with a one-time use, sometimes what they do is they entice you by saying, oh, we're selling you a domain name and it's going to be six bucks. Mm-hmm. And then that shop or store or whatever domain name a year from now is going to be anywhere from 30 to 60 bucks. If you pay for it with privacy, card generated in privacy, and it's a one-time use, then next time it comes available, it'll just fail the payment and then they'll give you a heads up. And then you're going, wait a minute, I forgot that I bought this a year ago, or I'm not paying $65 for this, or, you know, exactly saves you from getting, you know, sideswiped on your, on your credit card. Yeah. They have a pause as well. So mm-hmm. I like using that. I, I use it the same way sure. where pause it. I get the notice. Oh, it didn't go through. Oh, okay. I'll 
unpause it because I really do want that service. Yeah, so. I didn't see that. That's interesting. Okay. For email tips, some like low-hanging fruit. If you're using something like Hotmail or or Yahoo or something like that, those have been hacked before. Using a Gmail account is more secure. It's not more private because they actually do scan your emails, but it is more secure. The next step would be to actually just buy your own Fastmail domain and then actually have them host your own email. And then that way that's not being scanned. There's a few different things you can do with that. ProtonMail is a good one. Yeah. Or Tutanota. Those are both good. Plus they give the added bonus of having zero knowledge where Tutanota and ProtonMail cannot even look into your email account because it's encrypted. It's encrypted at rest. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's encrypted if you use between two ProtonMail accounts, then it's encrypted or between two Totanuda accounts. There are ways to encrypt off of those platforms. That's a little bit more advanced thing. You know, we were talking about having multiple email addresses. For my bank, I have a alias in ProtonMail that only my banks use. Hmm. For normal things like mailing lists and sign up things like that, I use a bean blur. And what it does is it lets me generate unique email aliases that come to my regular email. I don't have to manage it. It just comes to my normal email account. Right. Because I do a unique one. If I ever get a spam from that unique email, I can just turn that off and I get no more spam. I don't have to unsubscribe. I don't have, of course, that's another thing is you, you never unsubscribe from spam mails because that's another way they can get you. Mm -hmm. But in there, if you need to turn off view remote content on all your accounts, mobile, desktop, whatever, webmail, turn that option off. What happens is that, is that if you receive a spam email, they embed graphics in it. It could even be like a little one by one pixel graphic, mm -hmm. but it has, it has a unique URL to it. And so if you open that email and on your mobile device or in a webmail, then what it does is it, it loads that pixel or that graphic. And then the spammer goes, ah, I know this is a live account. Somebody actually looked at that. So now I can, that email is more valuable. And now I can actually sell it to other spammers for more right. money because it's a verified account. Mm -hmm. Don't unsubscribe from email list unless you're triple sure <laughs> that it's a real email list. Otherwise you just need to market as drunk. I've had a bunch of emails recently that tried to do this. It, it looks like they were coming from automated accounts from my servers. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is really odd. I noticed it was trying to load something remotely. So what I did was I moved over to my desktop computer, took a look at it and I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm <laughs> nothing from that domain that it, it's just a fake thing. And uh, it, by having the block remote content, then I was able to just uh, delete it and, and just move on. Other things that are first steps that I think are kind of critical is a credit freeze for every member of your family. Yeah. This is one that you, you know, going back to my friend who had his uh, daughter's credit used, it used to be just free for minors, but now it's free for everybody. Right. So what I recommend is IntelTechniques.com 
has a resource page and uh, Michael Bazell has a great credit freeze worksheet. I would recommend that you'd link to that and use that. He updates it and actually has a few different worksheets that I'd recommend. So, but I would do the credit freeze first. Mm-hmm. It will take a few weeks. And then what I recommend or what he recommends is to use your free credit checks uh, uh, to do it. And then on a yearly basis, kind of rotate, you know, every quarter, uh, pull your credit report from a different uh, credit reporting agency. Sure. And then just continue to verify that, that nothing's been accessed. One of the things is our 11-year-old has been getting insurance advertisements in his name Hmm. in the postal mail. And I'm like, okay, it's for car insurance. He's only 11. What they're doing is that whatever insurance company is pulling his credit and says, ah, he has great credit. We're going to send him an advertisement. So if his credit was frozen, then that'll get rid of a lot of those financial junk mails, credit card applications, things like that. So that's kind of helpful in that way as well. One of the things I've been seeing here recently, so I wanted to go and get a car loan. And you can go into the credit freeze and you can turn it off for the weekend. You're going to go and potentially get a loan from somewhere and they're going to do a credit check. Or if you're having a background check for business for a new job, then you can go in there to the credit freeze. Most of them have something where you can say, put it on hold until this date and then it'll turn back on again. Yes. And that way they can do that without you having to go through the rigmarole of submitting something and then waiting and then submitting it again. It's it's pretty automated and not bad for like three of the four credit a- agencies. Some of the yes. other ones are kind of messy, but you know the main ones are, are pretty straightforward. And that just helps you, like we're talking about, keep it in a bulwark or a, a bulkhead, keep that enclosed, and then you open it when you need to open it. Well, so. and that's the whole thing. So people go and they get LifeLock and they don't realize that LifeLock's not really doing anything. And when you check the small print, it's like, yeah, we'll help you out with your creditors after you get screwed. It's a lot more time consuming and expensive after some kind of event sure. than it is to do something. It is less time consuming, less effort and less costly to do it some of these things beforehand. Yeah. And along those same lines, identity theft protection is usually provided as a benefit at your job, or you can even get it through your bank account for a few dollars rather than a 30 plus dollar LifeLock membership. If you do get hacked, then you'd have the opportunity to at least clean some of it up. I think Dave Ramsey has a identity theft insurance. Mm -hmm. I think it was only like $75 a year. And that was like true insurance. And that was, we'll provide up to a million dollars worth of whatever. Sure, yeah. Uh, of assistance, of cleanup, of things like that. So mm-hmm. if you do have some kind of identity theft event, you always need to get a police report. That's the magic ticket for accessing some of these services and things like that. So mm-hmm. police are willing to open a police report. Once you have that number and once you have that report, then then yeah, right. it, it is quite a bit beneficial. So Yep, definitely. Good. So password manager, what do you use for that? I've been using LastPass and I've been playing with Bitwarden. Both of those are free or paid. A lot of people have not been liking the the LastPass recently, but I've been paying for the family one. So we have up to five people. And so like my wife and I, we have our own unique ones, uh, but then we have a shared 
where if I update something in the shared, then it updates for her as well. Let's go back to the idea of the password manager. Now everybody understands what this is. Okay. You need to have unique passwords for everything. If you have the same password for everything, it's easy for you, but it's also easy for someone to hack into. If they get your password from somewhere, then they can access most of your accounts, financial accounts, email accounts, things like that. It's a lot easier for people to take over your digital life if you have just one password. Right. So the idea of a password manager is it is a encrypted or secure place to, to generate unique passwords and to store those passwords. So I typically generate passwords that are like 32 characters long. I can never remember that, right. but I can remember the one unique password that's strong to open up my password manager. I have it on my mobile phone and I have it on my desktop. And so if I lose my phone, I still have access to everything. If you know I lose my phone, I lose my desktop, uh, then my wife can request access to my account. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I don't respond within two days, then LastPass will actually open up my accounts to her, you know, just in case I'm, I'm hurt, you know, or disabled or, or something worse. Right. Um, then she has access to all of my passwords, to all my financial accounts, uh, to all the cryptocurrency stuff, to one of the things with being a little bit more private is creating faults. You know how they ask you for, oh, well, let's create a security question that only you can answer. Well, yeah. that's information that People can get off of Facebook and things like sure. that. I, th- I think you were saying that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that uh, I was changing my password at the bank and it has four or five security questions, right? And I looked at them and I, w- I was like, all of these can be guessed from Facebook. All of them. You know, where'd you grow up? What's your high school mascot? You could figure out all those from Facebook or you could get in the general vicinity. So I called the bank and I complained and they said, we'll lie. And I'm like, well, if I lie, how am I going to remember what <laughs> what I said for a lie? So how do you yeah. get around that? Actually, there's a note section in my mm-hmm. password manager. And in that, I actually put in the question and then put in the fake answer. And then that's saved. And then I actually mark it to actually require typing in a password again. My password manager password to unlock that note. Right. If I ever have to identify myself using that, those security questions, I do have them available for me. Yeah, it is quite useful. That is probably one of my main security techniques is being able to generate complex passwords and then save them. And then also I do that with work. Now work has its own password manager, but I have saved some of the most used passwords in my password managers to make it easy for me. Also, in LastPass, you can save, also have saved scans of my driver's license and my passport and things like that. So in case I lose my wallet or whatever, I can actually open up my driver's license in my password manager to show law enforcement or or whatever. So also scans of other documents Hmm. you can put in there and put it behind a second password. So Um, one of the things, one of the tips is make sure that on your phone, you don't have LastPass auto log again, because if you lost your phone, then you'd automatically give somebody auto login to all your passwords. 
Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, or if you're unconscious or whatever, you know, they beat you overhead with a you know, lead pipe and they take your phone and then they hold it up to your face. And so your phone unlocks, you need to have it where you actually put in a password. It's a little less convenient, but sure. it's more secure. The pen or whatever. I remember on the old phones, you had pattern on the screen instead of the thumbprint or, or whatever. And I found that that worked really well. So I, I wish we could go back to something like that to make it easier. Wait a second. So if someone yeah. has facial recognition on their phone, basically you could get bonked on the head and then they could hold it up to your face and it would, it would unlock, right? Yes. Yep. Wow. Or thumbprint or whatever. Yeah. It's like, haven't you guys ever watched Superman or whatever that was? <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You're you're perfectly fine. You're perfectly fine. We are kind of jumping around and we are, you know, talking about a few different techniques. Also talking about email aliases, having multiple unique email aliases. So mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because I get some of my email that I get in that that goes through that anonymizer of being blur. So I'll use different names like Susan or whatever. So it's a unique email with a different name. And like I said before, legally, that's perfectly valid. So you can have whatever kind of alias you want for most people, for most companies and, and people. So with our mobile phones, we now have our mobile phone numbers for years. So what companies are doing is instead of keying in on your social security number, which is illegal for them to use, it's more valid and more useful to them to key in on your mobile phone number. Right. So, so now you're being tracked against your mobile phone number. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you can do is if you're a small business, just have a small side hustle or something like that. What you can do is you can get a free Google voice number, have that forwarded to your phone. Now you have a quote business line, and then you can use the Google voice app to actually call out from that number. And quite useful, quite useful to kind of, especially if you're female and you're not quite sure about sharing your phone number with somebody, that's a good way of being able to, to protect yourself a little bit better. I also have a app called MySudo. And what it does is it gives you one, three, or nine phone numbers all come into your phone. So now you can have one for just for friends and family one for Craigslist. If you're on a dating site or something like that, you could have one for that dating site. And then say you're getting calls from a creep who keeps calling you or something. What you can do is with my sudo, you can actually just drop that number and for a dollar, get a new phone number, part of that package. And so I think I pay like $60 a year for the three phone numbers. And, and so I have like one for more personal stuff one for my business and then one for big O tires or, or whatever. And they can text me or they can call me on those numbers and it comes right to my phone without me having to give out my real phone number. Well, that's one of those things you can do to compartmentalize your life a little bit more, you know, secure life a little bit better. That is a little bit harder to manage because, okay, what phone number do I have or what email address do I give? And so these are kind of some of the better layer, but if you're starting out again, Credit freeze, I think, is hugely useful. Password manager. And with the password manager, just do one site at a time. Prove it to yourself that you can get in, you can log out of everything, and then your password manager can 
can get into the site. A lot of the times you can just type in what site you need to log in for. It shows up, I click on launch, it launches a site, and a lot of times it'll automatically log you in. It already has your username and password. It's a huge convenience for me. That password manager really does help me out. I think the other side of authentication puzzle is, yes, you need something to store your passwords, but there's also this thing called two-factor authentication. A lot of times what will happen is a bank or some site will say, hey, we'll text you, we'll text you a number, and then you can put in that number as a second authentication. And having that really steps up your security game. So not only do you have a password, but now you also have a second authentication that you need to enter into a site. It's not recommended to keep your most important ones through your phone. There is a thing called SIM jacking, where somebody will call up the phone company and say, oh, I lost my account number or, or whatever. And so they'll actually take your phone number and then they'll be able to receive your authentication codes. This has happened with a few big name people. Mm -hmm. The way to handle that is to have a two-factor authentication method that's, that's software-based. Authy, Bitwarden has one, uh, LastPass has one. So I use Authy and LastPass Authenticator. Bitwarden has, has one built in. And what this does is once you have registered Authy or LastPass Authenticator, what it does is every 30 seconds, it changes a six digit number. Yep. And you have it right on your phone or you have it on your computer. And so you don't need it texted to you or you don't need it emailed to you. And so that, that is a typically a little bit more secure. So somebody will have to have your phone if they're trying to log in. So if you sure. still have your password, they'd actually need to have your phone as well to be able to access things. So, so question about that, about the SIM cards, are SIM cards interchangeable between vendors and between phones? So say I've got a Pine phone, you can, you can get like a mint and it'll come with a SIM card, but yes. Can you swap between Apple and Android or the SIM card is specific towards those or how does it work? It's not locked toward platform to the iPhone or Android, but it is locked to your vendor a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. AT&T, Verizon, those are pretty much locked into them as a vendor. So Right. You, yeah, um, you usually can't use a Verizon iPhone and go right. over to Sprint or whatever. Right. Yeah. T-Mobile. Of course, Sprint was a CDMA network. And of course, a lot of the phones, AT&T, Verizon, or GSM. So I think everybody's switching over to GSM. So you do need to be cautious about what kind of technology it has. But if it has a SIM card, it's more likely a GSM phone. And for the most part, you can use any, any SIM with it. I do want to caution. There's a lot of advertisements out for VPNs. VPNs are very good. I have a permanent VPN on my phone. I have a VPN, permanent VPN on my desktop, but it's only one layer of that security. One of the things is that both Apple and Google, what they do is they collect data points about you off of your mobile devices, and they can uniquely identify you off of those, off of your patterns of life. Adding a VPN will disrupt that a little bit, but if you're using the same Chrome browser or things like that, Google has an end to that. 
recommend moving to Firefox with some privacy plugins or the Brave browser, which is really good. And then I also have privacy plugins added onto the Brave browser. And so some sites just don't work for me and I have to think about it, go, oh, I, could, I have it locked down too much. Yeah. I use Brave and then I go to Firefox if something doesn't work, but yeah, that's you know, Firefox and DuckDuckGo, both of them supported censorship and stopping the misinformation and all that other stuff over the last year. So right, right. I moved away from Firefox and away from DuckDuckGo um, and now use Brave Browser and there, there's a search inside of Brave Browser too. So DuckDuckGo isn't bad as a search engine. It uses Google. Sure. Uh, I believe the Brave search also uses Google. So basically what it does is it anonymizes your mm -hmm. searches through them as a proxy to Google. Yep. There is another search engine called PreSearch, which doesn't use that. Yeah, so um, PreSearch, you could actually earn crypto, and it was pretty popular for there for a while, but nobody's been really talking about it here lately. I actually run, do run two nodes. Pretty easy to set up. It's just a Docker file thing. Mm -hmm. We do have to stake a little bit of a cryptocurrency, but then you do earn. So that makes that a slightly different and the Brave Search and DuckDuckGo. So I use all three pretty much all the time. So it just depends what I'm searching for. And if I'm not finding exactly what I want, I'll switch to one of the others. Yeah, there's lots of different things, but like I said, don't try to do everything at once. Just try to do one thing well at a time. So let's talk about uh, Windows versus you know your desktop security too. Yeah, absolutely. With Windows and your home network, there's a few different things that you can do. One is Windows 10 is not bad, but it does have a lot of privacy concerns. One of the things you can do, there is a, it's a weird name, but it's, it's a great free product called O&O Shut Up 10. Hmm. And what it does is it lets you, lets you set the privacy settings on Windows 10 to automatically be more private. It's kind of like a, Here's a recommended, and then that's all the green ones. And then if you want to go set to the yellow ones, those are ones that are like, yeah, maybe, you know, it's going to break a few things if you set these. And then there's the red ones that, yeah, if you, if you set these, definitely break stuff, but you'll be a lot more private. <laughs> I just have it set to the green ones on that, oh, no, shut up. The Windows antivirus is not bad. It's, it's actually pretty good for a free product. So I definitely recommend sticking with the Windows 10. Mac is a little bit more secure, but it is locked down just like with the iPhone and stuff like that. So right. it is kind of like BSD with a pretty face. BSD is kind of like, it's not Linux, it's different. So I know a lot of Mac people are, are going away from the Mac OS and just moving to Linux. It lets you install a free as in free beer and free as in free speech operating system. I've used Linux for 20 years. I, I was really impressed. I installed the Pop! OS on our, our the, uh, Jim's old desktops and it was beautiful. It was responsive It and I was able to even install any desk on it. So if you had any questions, I could remote in and help him help it on his uh, Linux desktop. So that's a little bit more advanced, but distributions like Ubuntu and Mint and Pop! OS are very good, very slick Linux distributions. Yeah, I run Linux and Windows as desktops. I run Linux servers. 
because there's just less bloat. I can install only the things I want to install on them. And there's no spyware. I also run Spybot Search and Destroy and Malwarebytes anti-malware. Those are free or donate or paid. So I thought the malware bytes was actually, some people were saying there for a while that malware bytes was actually malware. Um, no, it, I think they had a odd marketing thing going on, but I've used it for at least 10 years. I've had no issues okay. with it. I like it because it searches mm -hmm. for malware differently than SpyBot does. And so I like two variations of searches. Yeah, my big thing is the, I've got nothing to hide, so why would I well, want to do this? you know, uh, even thing. those people will close the door in the bathroom, right? There's, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, That's perfect. You might, you oh, might, um, analogy. you might explain that in every culture, there is privacy taboos. So it is part of right. our human experience to have a level of privacy. You know, even Japan, where it's very not private, there is specific ways of carving out privacy. And so it is important to us, you know, I'm not just going to publish all my bank account numbers, you know, I'm not going to publish all my right. passwords. The other statement is, uh, is that a lot of these big tech, for example, have been collecting data on us for the government to get around Fourth Amendment issues. And so that's a big concern when big government tells big data, hey, you need to do this, or you need to suppress this person, or that's getting into a lot of the freedom issues that that's a very big concern. I mean, we're right. way past Orwell's, you know, 1984. <laughs> yeah. Orwell fiction again is my exactly. uh, That's, that's a great t-shirt. Let some of our listeners know how they can get a hold of you, um, your website, and then if they have any follow-up oh, questions, what's your contact um, info? So um, I'll give you a relatively easy email address. So uh, the website is Pratis Radio. I do radio training and sales. Pratis means prepared. You know, even though I am a ham radio expert, there's a lot of people that just need to know how to use radios. And we've spoken before on another podcast right. about that. Yeah, we talked about that yes. a few episodes and, back. Yeah. Uh, I'm also interested in online communications. I'm also interested in privacy, things like that. And so I've created kind of an intro to privacy guide. You can email me at uh, mike at paratusradio.com. That's P-A-R-A-T-U-S-R-A-D-I-O.com, Paratus Radio. I can give you a phone number. Of course, that's a MySudo number. Uh, and I can be called on it or text is best because so uh, that number is 573-279-1612. Yeah. I just encourage take baby steps one thing at a time, do it well, and then um, just go on from there. You need to control your own data. You need to control who has access to it. Just like you control your front door of your house. You don't let everybody through. You, mm -hmm. you vet people. You need to do that with your data Definitely. as well. So I encourage everybody to at least take baby steps. You know, like I said, we're not all secret super spies. And, but for, for most of us, I think if we just step up our game, just doing a few of these things, then number one, it puts us in a much better position to be able to not be part of these data dumps and account information being leaked and things like that. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Thrive in the Future podcast. 
If you like what you hear, click that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app. Also, check us out at thriveinthefuture.com and join our conversation on Twitter at thriveinthefut or join our Telegram channel. Simply go to the Thrive in the Future website. On the right sidebar, there's a link to the Telegram channel. This episode was produced by Scott Miller, copyright 2022, thriveinthefuture.com. Next time on Thrive in the Future podcast. Kurt is back and we talk about updates to his homestead as well as how he's building local community. And we talk about how to recession-proof your job with an entrepreneurial mindset. That's next time on Thrive in the Future podcast.